Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the escaped convict of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who also leave rooms with our bottle brush tails held jauntily high. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How y'all doing? So I have a question, Sarah. What? Is that your favorite scene mm-hmm. in all of Harry Potter? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It gotta be top five for me, too. That is the most cat-like reaction to that situation, and it was great. Crookshanks is very pleased with himself. <laughs> As well he should be, quite honestly. Oh, he's the ultimate hero of this chapter, based on what Sirius Black is saying. It's like, none of the plot would have happened, apparently, but for Crookshanks. And that's a fascinating thing to unpack. <laughs> So we are in uh, chapter 19 of the third book of Harry Potter, The Servant Mm -hmm. of Lord Voldemort. Um, And we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap that's going to happen today. Um, We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have Newbie's Notes with Spencer. We award house points. And then there are um, questions, which I assume have all been answered because this was really just a chapter of exposition. Oh, don't worry, Sarah. I found a way. And as per our usual, it is unlikely that the questions will have answers that can be answered and will only lead to more questions. Yes. And silence on my part, really. (laughs) It was truly great last episode, Sarah, for for like a solid six minute period. You just kind of sit back while BJ and I just kind of talk things at each other. You said Mm -hmm. things. Things were said. Mm -hmm. Um, So are we ready to get started with our recap? Uh, BJ, how long have you given Sarah to complete this chapter? So, I will say that I think that Sarah can do it within two minutes, as long as she's willing to do a very incomplete job of it. Well, sure. (laughs) That's kind of always true. I can do it in ten seconds and give a very incomplete job of it. Given that I don't think that this is the case, (laughs) because I do know you slightly, I'm going to say that I think... uh, 215 um because that's the maximum that i can give you but i'm going to guess that that you will your summary will take two minutes and 10 seconds okay okay i am not going to bet um because i did these notes i went through them once it took me two minutes and 45 seconds i cut a whole swaths of stuff out and did not test it again so i don't know good call go for the layup it's fine okay Whenever you're ready, I don't have the giant novelty stopwatch. Disappointment is me, but I have a backup, so I'm ready if you are. Okay. So the newly uninvisibility cloaked Snape is there. Having found the Marauder's map on Lupin's desk when he came to deliver his monthly potion, he followed them to the Shrieking Shack. Immediately feeling vindicated, he's planning on exactly where the Dementors will find them and doesn't want to hear Black's nonsense about the rat. Harry expelliarmuses him. I have, yes, cut out several pages of Snape's nonsense. Um, At the same time, Ron and Hermione did, so he's a bit knocked out at the moment. Finally, we get some more background about Black. He saw Scabbers with Ron in the Daily Prophet picture about their trip to Egypt. Um, He got the paper from Cornelius Fudge when he was visiting Azkaban. Sirius noticed Scabber's front paw missing a toe. Before the explosion, presumably from Black, Black had cornered Peter, who started screaming uh, that Black had betrayed Harry's parents before blowing up the street, cutting off a finger, transforming into a rat, and faking his own death. He went into hiding for 12 years. Apparently, Crookshanks realized what Scabber's was and also what uh, the big Black dog was, i.e. Sirius Black, and helped him to get into the castle. Scabbers faked his own death again to disappear from Black's hunt before he was found earlier that night. It turns out that while Black had been the Potter's secret keeper when they were in hiding, he convinced them to change it to Peter at the last minute, and Peter gave up their location to Voldemort. Black is still racked with guilt. Lupin demands the rat. In an instant, they've forced Peter Pettigrew to re- reveal himself. Pettigrew immediately starts pleading with anyone who will listen about the danger he's in from Sirius Black and possible f- possibly from Voldemort, who forced him to squeal in the first place. Perhaps more than anything, though, there's Voldemort's supporters who believe Pettigrew was responsible for Bol- Voldemort's disappearance. Pettigrew tries to convince the kids that Black Black was a spy for Voldemort. Then there's the question of how Black got out of Azkaban without dark magic. He stayed as a dog most of the time because the Dementors can't really see, and he has fewer emotions for them to suck out of him as a dog. But when he saw Pettigrew in the picture, he had to act. 
He slipped out as a dog and paddled to shore before making his way to Hogwarts, where he even got to watch Harry play Quidditch. Finally, Harry believes him. Now, while uh, Lupin and Black were ready to kill Pettigrew, Harry makes them bundle him up to the castle to meet the Dementors. Is that justice? They tie him up, tug him along, bandage Ron's leg, levitate Snape, and make their way up to the castle. BJ, take a victory lap. Two minutes and 10 seconds and 29 milliseconds. (laughs) Wow. Congratulations to you both. Well, I apologize for these several awkward sentences that were in there because of the random stuff that I cut out. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but I hope that we will we will re-explore perhaps some of the the points I didn't get to as we go through the episode. Um, if, if, but I did eat. Like to... Oh, go mm-hmm. ahead. Go ahead. I said That's if you'd, if you'd like if you'd like to in your remaining four minutes and four sec four seconds uh, say just something smug about Bottlebrush Tail. Feel free. You have time. <laughs> Crookshanks is leading the way. Yes. <laughs> And it's great. Oh, God. Um, yes. So, but I get points still, right? You get five points. Excellent. You do. Thank you. That's all I really care about in this situation. <laughs> I enjoy that you've gotten so used to betting for the enhanced points despite the risk that you no longer know that you could just always get points. I don't, it's, I don't it's really not... know the rules. <laughs> it, it's like the rest of Quidditch. It yes. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm she always won. going for the snitch, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Sarah the Seeker. Oh boy. Um all right, BJ, what are what are you wheezing about tonight? Um so I have one quick wheeze about punctuation. Um and that is in this chapter I counted over a hundred ellipses and I stopped. And I counted no other punctuation and I might be done with it forever because it was insane. A hundred, over a hundred. How far into the chapter did you get before you stopped counting? I think I was like over three quarters of the way. I I literally just got to a hundred because like I, I wasn't really reading it because it's hard to read and count mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, unless like I write the numbers down. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, holy shit, I'm at a hundred. That's insane. <laughs> the chapter's not over. I, I'm done. <laughs> There's also a large amount of this chapter that is in all caps. Uh, Oh, yes. Um, In all caps, there are a lot of M dashes. There are lots of all sorts of things going on because this is one of the late chapters Mm -hmm. in a book. And so it's going to have all the things. Um, I sort of wonder if the last chapter was an editor was like, you can't have all of the end chapters be like three times the size of the beginning chapters. (laughs) Like that doesn't pace the book well especially you know for younger audiences and Mm -hmm. and jk rowling was like okay i'll make sure i have a short you know short chapters towards the end so like and then completely fail yes um well it does the next chapter is relatively short as well um i had to investigate given your (laughs) point um so i think yes that might have been an editor's note that she uh that rowling took under advisement um but then we get to the penultimate chapter which is a real doozy a real doozy yeah so i wonder <laughs> if it's just like chapters that could be broken up were and then sections that just was like no i just i can't break that up yeah are the lodestones that we have maybe, maybe. um snape is a bond villain he may not be evil <laughs> yes. but he's very definitely a bond villain he falls into all of the problems and the tropes that every Bond villain falls into um, and I think he should have an eye patch or, or something <laughs> um, there just needs to be something a little bit more clear than his dark and dreary outfits and uh, interesting pallor yeah, it's pretty readily apparent from the first like nine pages of this chapter that the good, the bad, and the ugly does not exist in this universe because clearly Snape never heard the lesson of if you have to shoot, shoot don't talk Fair yeah, um, um, but and, to be fair, we do know that Snape is someone who has to be in his head, head all the time. So when he gets the the opportunity to talk to somebody, and especially to pontificate at people, this is very big for him. My my, my first scrawled note as I was reading through this was most in character thing ever. <laughs> Snape stops to evil gloat. Yeah, and also just the semi-Mexican standoff that we have here is hilarious and I worry that in the movies it's not as farcical because it's very Mm. clearly amazingly farcical. Yeah. 
I mean, it's hard when you're reading this chapter to even keep track of like who has whose wand at any given point in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there are definitely some movies that like reading the screenplay must have been kind of weird and just like this po- person points their gun at this person who's also pointing their gun at this person and this person and this person. It's just like, what What on earth? Um, those thoroughly entertained me. Um, some of the things that I thought were interesting um, is I didn't expect Snape to be awful in certain ways that he is. Um, he's awful to Hermione in a way that I don't think is in keeping with his character to how I've built it up so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's like, I guess it's he's smug, but this is just like, you're just being shitty to like a 13, 14 year old. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, keep quiet, you stupid girl. Like, I, I don't know, just it do- doesn't quite hit right for me. Um, but if, if you wanted to just like distill a character that everybody wants to point to as evil, like this is the chapter that everybody's going to point to and be like, Snape's clearly evil. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there are more in the future. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but for now, uh, yeah, this is a good one. Also, Spencer, this is just for you and mm-hmm. maybe some of our listeners. Uh, Peter of the Nine Fingers. Thank you for that reference. I appreciate that. Um, so I also find it very entertaining that the cat is decidedly human in so many ways. And I'm sort of curious to see if we, we actually get anything out of it. But uh, Sirius Black talks about Crookshanks in the way that uh, we'll say pet parents talk about their animals uh, in ways that nobody else would. <laughs> <laughs> the, the difference being here, I think Sirius is actually correct rather than getting increasingly delusional. I know, but we don't we don't see it in in frame here. But you know that Hermione is glowing at this moment. Yeah, <laughs> yes. She's not she's not going to let Ron hear the end of this once this you know <laughs> current near death situation is ended. Yeah, um, and the last thing that I really wanted to comment on is uh, Black's use of. Uh, words and comebacks are great and some of the the few that we really get that are impressively good um, with there's enough filth on my robes without you touching them mm-hmm. um, which was just great um, and then uh, when Peter Pettigrew is saying like he would have killed me if I didn't like give up all this information and Black is like well you should have died. Like, this isn't difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of the characters so far, I think Sirius Black might be one of the most reasonable characters in many ways that, and... I don't necessarily yes, disagree, Spencer. but that says something about this book. <laughs> this is a guy who is almost literally frothing at the mouth for the last three chapters to murder a person in front of a collection of tweens, and yeah, he probably may be the most reasonable person. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think we'll get to this a little bit more later, but I just wanted to comment that, uh, Harry is finally showing some vague signs of transient maturity, which <laughs> is an interesting, re- probably one of the more interesting revelations in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I will pass it off, uh, off to, uh, some newbies notes, which I might chime in every so often on yeah. since... I'm a newbie now. Yeah, since we're both newbies, I feel like our segments are just kind of working off each other now, so we address different points we found interesting. Um, This is is the part of the episode where I skim the internet and wait for you all to come back. (laughs) We'll come back. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like like you said, the most in-character thing ever is Snape just gloating for like four or five pages. We talked about at the end of the last chapter that this was just the culmination of Snape's life. This is the happiest he has ever been. This is every dream he's ever had coming to fruition. And I feel like that in some way in, informs how utterly unhinged he gets before this chapter is done. There is, I mean, good lord, could this man carry a grudge. I mean, there's there's carrying a grudge, there's hating a person, and then there's the rubbing shoulders with madness that this guy gets into before he's done. Right, but to be fair, like, the only way that he has not succumbed to madness or whatever it is that happens in Azkaban 
is basically Snape. holding Snape. this grudge. No, not Sirius. Snape is who yeah, I'm talking about. Oh, oh, Snape, okay. Sirius has perfectly understandable reasons for why he is what he is. Mm-hmm. Snape okay. does not. Fair enough. Now, Snape, now, now we're clear. Snape is <laughs> gloating about two people's souls being consumed in front of him as if it is the most delightful thing he could ever imagine watching. He is just reveling in this moment. And oh, during the course of it, he is descending in age from the proper adult professor he should be to a 12-year-old that had dirt kicked in his face. Mm-hmm. And watching that happen is fascinating. And it's almost like Stape himself is getting increasingly uncomfortable with it as people are pointing it out. And he's lashing out at those around him as they're noting that, dude, what is happening to you before our eyes right now? You started out this, the knight in charming armor come to save the day, and you've descended to cackling Bond villain, the way BJ pointed out. Are you aware of it? Doesn't have so, a full op- mm-hmm. Quick question, Sarah. Yeah. Does Malfoy become a potions professor? <laughs> is this where he starts and goes? <laughs> he does not, no. Mm. Um, partially, as we have talked about before, like Snape is actually like really, really good at potions. Malfoy is just Malfoy. He's not particularly good at anything. Was Snape good at potions, like, back when he was at Hogwarts then? Um, that actually, I realize that sounds like a throwaway question. Huge spoiler. Okay. Interesting. I, I, I picture Snape being the, this may, this, may, this may just be the color scheme he's always, he's always been assigned, but the kind of, like, really studious goth nerd back in his time at Hogwarts. He was probably actually a really good student while he was there, but very much a loner ostracized by his peers. So I'd fully imagine him being very good at potions back then. I wonder if he was really good at everything except for defense against the dark arts and then had to try <laughs> insanely hard and now is just like, he's good at it, Yeah. but that's all he wants to do because he actually had to try for it. It's warped his psychology because it was the only subject that was beyond him. Uh, I mean, it's in last closing comment on Snape, because he gets knocked out surprisingly quickly in what's meant to be his moment of triumph. I have never hated anyone as much as this guy just hates everyone on a regular basis. <laughs> it's just amazing to watch. It's it also, seems exhausting, too, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> it seems exhausting, and it's also interesting that he hates Hermione. Because, ex- he, you know, if Hermione dyed her hair black and painted her nails black, <laughs> it, like... There'd be crossover. Yeah. I don't... I think he's annoyed by Hermione, and I think he's getting very unhinged in this conversation to a point that even he might regret some things he said later, beside the fact he gets attacked, which is mm-hmm. the main focus going forward thereafter, I'm assuming. But I think we can agree he doesn't hate, if he does hate Hermione, it's nowhere near the level he hates three other people in this room. Yeah, and, and is honestly probably just spillover from Harry. It's like, oh, you're friends with Harry, therefore I hate you, but... <laughs> you are collateral damage to my hate. Yeah. I do want you all to help me remember for our next episode. Um, in the next chapter, there is something that happens in the movies related to Snape mm-hmm. that does not happen in the books, and I would like to talk about it in relation to this conversation. Okay. Okay. Mental note. So I'll write that one down. I was going to say, I can make an actual note rather than a mental note because the likelihood that I'm yeah, actually going to remember. I could write it down, but... Why would I do that when you all could do it for me? <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad. Um, next point. Oh, shit, they shot a teacher. Mm-hmm. I know that this book has not been big on... Re- these books have not been big on repercussions from the shit that they get into. That it's kind of been working under the system of if you walk out of a teacher's line of sight, they just kind of forget that they intended to punish you. I can't imagine this one isn't going to have some blowback. They well, shot often, a teacher. Um, things like brain damage... Can cause uh, <laughs> retrograde or and even anterograde amnesia. So, yeah, it's B- fine. BJ, you're, you're kind of a resident expert here, but correct me if I'm wrong. If a person is knocked out for more than like a few seconds or like any period that exceeds like a minute, they've got brain damage. Isn't that like how that works? I mean, yes and no. I mean, you can survive and uh, we'll say obtain hilarious amounts of brain damage <laughs> or. or trauma and not acquire trauma is more what i meant yes you know long-lasting cognitive effects sure or or at least ones that appear fairly shortly thereafter so i mean yeah he probably you know lost 30 percent of his potion 
you know, acumen <laughs> with this. Oh, but... that would hurt him all the worse. But I, this one's got to have blowback. I mean, this, I don't care what justifications they end up establishing. This, tr- they, con- they fully concussed a professor. <laughs> Three spells meeting in one person to the point that he is bouncing around this room like a ping pong ball before he goes down. <laughs> Which is something I want, like, I'm going to ask a little bit more about but i kind of want to point out which is the uh additive slash multiplicative nature of spells is mm-hmm. interesting yeah that's got legs but let, let, let's because we see it twice we see it twice in this chapter right yeah yeah let, let, let's save that one for questions i've got i've got several questions on how that works too <laughs> uh i really enjoy that lupin is still trying to be the supportive professor and guide them all through this while also clearly getting very frustrated with ron by the time he's done <laughs> with this conversation <laughs> he's really at the end of this kevin i can almost just picture him sighing and doing a picard face palm as he's just like ron how many fingers does your rat have work with me here please it's like why do you think your rat has been alive for 12 years. 12 years. <laughs> he even says that almost like sarcastically. Is that Ron, didn't you ever wonder why he's been alive so long? The answer is no. Ron has never no. wondered that. I, I, I Ron, think you could shorten that sentence to Ron has never wondered. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's shown by the fact that Ron tries to answer that question of, well, we fed him really well. It's like, Ron, I don't care what diet you put your rat on. They don't exceed their, their natural <laughs> lifespan by four times. It doesn't work that way. But yeah, it's really funny. He's like, he's still trying so hard. And he's like, Ron, I've actively got one guy over here that's trying to murder people. I've got a professor that we just knocked around like a shaken baby. And I've got several students that one that wants one, one that wants my, one, one that wants to murder my best friend. Another one that is just actively asking me way too many questions. And you, <laughs> who I just want to touch, I just want to hold your rat for a minute. Is that that much to ask, please? So the other side of this is... I'm a little bit more curious about Lupin's story because he basically acts the exact same when he's having a conversation with Harry and facing down one of Voldemort's henchmen and Snape pointing a wand at him and presumably with foul intentions, shall we say. And he's the same presumably reasonably even keeled though you know there isn't all that much describing how lupin is in some of these uh situations but i sort of imagine like it could be a little bit more like the hulk where it's just like he's always full of rage and ready to kill people and so it doesn't really matter whether he's having a nice quote-unquote conversation (laughs) with harry he still just wants to kill everything and or snape's threatening to kill him well, he is a werewolf sometimes, so there's that. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you to a certain point that I have, I wouldn't have thought before this chapter that I would use the phrase intimidating to describe Lupin, other than hmm. you know, the whole werewolf thing. We haven't gotten to see that one yet. I'm assuming it's somewhat scary. But his consistency of tone, no matter the subject, the kind of mm-hmm. mix-in of British stiff upper lip slash intense repression that goes into his style of handling this, the situation is really intimidating it's really almost uncomfortable by the time we're done because he does not shift tone he does not shift script when he moves between guiding students through this difficult moment in their upbringing difficult moment in their development as young wizards to let's discuss the murder of one of our oldest friends here in front of us there's no shift there's no change he maintains the same level of polite decorum throughout all which is interesting. It just shows that, again, that as much as I've been liking to view him in some ways as in a different lens than Sirius Black, the two have similarities. There is a certain level of grim darkness that is orbiting these individuals that we get to see firsthand here, but we'll get to that in a minute as we're going in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, got to address Crookshanks. Dear God, Crookshanks. Crooks- I feel like every book there is one character or thing that makes the entirety of the plot happen, and I would have lost money on that being Crookshanks in this novel. <laughs> really? But according to Sirius, I, I wasn't suspecting it, but according to Sirius Black, everything he's done has been directly the result of Crookshanks. He could have accomplished nothing at all. It would have nowhere been to this point unless Crookshanks did the entirety of all of it. Between so, being his, mm-hmm. quick question for the last book. Is the the character that does everything a phoenix? A hat? <laughs> I was going to say Dumbledore because all of those are just tools of his. If you're, I... a, trivi- 
I disagree with the sorting hat being a tool of Dumbledore. A close companion? Roommate? It'd, be, it'd actually be really funny if uh, um, Dumbledore was a lot more normal back in the day, but he's spent a little bit too much time <laughs> with the sorting hat, and it kind of has a uh, mercurial effect on, <laughs> on him. I mean, Crookshanks, Crookshanks has the level of just kind of impish involvement in the entirety of the, the plot for this. I'm mm-hmm. debating whether it's essentially an, we're going to find out that Dumbledore is, an, is actually an animagus and Crookshanks has just been Dumbledore the entire damn time. Because <laughs> that, that, that would, would be great. It <laughs> would, but it would also say very weird things about um, uh, what's her name being also being an animagus that is. Cat. Oh, Professor McGonagall. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, Spencer. I derailed you. He did. I'm just like, oh, can I still make this work, or has it gotten too weird? Well, in the heat of the moment, it just got a little weird. Oh, oh don't do that, please. Oh, God. But, I mean, let's end with a more pleasant moment. As you said, Sarah, the image of Crookshanks just smug on the bed watching this entire thing happen, and then realizing that everyone's about to leave the room, stretching, leaping off, and tail held high, escorting everyone else out of the room, is just great. It is just the most cat of all cat responses, and it is so in character for the plot, the, you know, spy plot master that Crookshanks has now proven to be. Uh, we then have, like, the next half of this chapter is a very weird and uncomfortable conversation of an adult man begging for his life to tweens, partially on the grounds of how great a pet he was previously. And I never thought I'd have that scene in these books. If you but. were to look up the definition of a toady... And then, like, extrapolate from there. That is what the rest of this chapter is. It, to to the point, I almost want to debate. I want to. Well, let's, let's take some time to debate this. Uh, we get a lot of material on what Piers' guilt is about what happened, but it's almost difficult to unpack because the format that it's presented in is Peter telling a lie or someone else telling t- telling a falsehood or telling an unintentional falsehood on his behalf. And then another character breaches that defense and we move on. To the point where I'm, I'm not entirely sure where what we're left with about what Peter's motivations in the end were. And I think mm-hmm. to be fair, like we're not supposed to have a clear vision of that at the end of this chapter. Right. Because he originally presents this, uh, well, besides him lying six ways to Sunday about, no, I didn't do it, no, I didn't do it, it was serious black. We eventually get to... No, I was forced to do it. I was under threat. You know, he was looking for the potters. I had no choice. Which is immediately broached with, no, you were give, passing information for a year. Mm-hmm. To which he then transitions to, oh, well, he was going to win anyway. <laughs> which is the weakest of the defenses he has. But that's kind of where we end. Just that, ah, uh, I was an opportunist. I, I think spinelessly evil is what I would end up with. It's just like, clearly not good and sort of leans towards the I want to do bad things to people but like I don't have enough of a backbone to actually just like put a lot of effort into it Mm -hmm. it seems almost like the happenstance that at least from where we end up um, at the end of this chapter I mean I would imagine he's like the evil version of um, oh what's his name not Colin Creevy Neville Longbottom? Yeah, Neville Longbottom. Mm -hmm. Like, if Neville Longbottom, instead of, like, you know, fell in with the Malfoy group Mm -hmm. or whatever, and, you know, he was just as awful uh, at everything, but tried to be bad to other people and just evil in general, I think that's sort of more of where Peter Pettigrew ends up, where, you know, he's a lot more bumbling and never ends up accomplishing anything because you know sort of the evil at least as i understand this universe is basically trotting on everybody else and so the evil obsequious nature just sort of like grinds him down a little bit further rather than him making any progress with anything Mm -hmm. i don't buy it (laughs) i don't it's very possible is I, I certainly think there's an element of this. I, I think he, you know, embodies a lot of the features of the cowardly villain in some ways. But 
there's that, and then there's the guy who arranged for a plan by which he could frame one of his best friends by cutting off his finger and murdering 20 people. That's a leap from the traditional domain of the cowardly villain. Of setting up that scenario by which he could have Sirius Black put in prison for him while he assumes the form of a rat to hide out for 12 years, all in the circumstances of where he blew up a city street and killed 20 muggles. Well, I was going to say, muggles, I think the... Well, finish the thought, please. At least for some of this, I think that there is going to be somewhat a dis- of a distinguishing feature of people, muggles, and wizards. And I think that mm-hmm. Pettigrew might fall a little bit under the, I just, you know, I, I made a mess and made it look like I disappeared. And he was more hiding and the killing muggles was... I don't know. These things happen. Like, how much do you worry about the uh, gnomes in your garden? This, it seems so calculated. I, this doesn't seem like the thing that you, you just work out as you're running, is what, is what your plan is going to be. Oh, I don't think this was a Pettigrew plan. Okay, well, we're thinking it wasn't a Pettigrew plan. We're thinking this is in some way a Voldemort plan? I don't know exactly who it is, but I, I it would disappoint me if Pettigrew was more powerful in putting on this false, like, obsequiousness to to avoid that, which, Mm -hmm. I don't know, might be on brand for the books, but I I think it's a a little bit more of a played out trope, and it'd be more interesting if he was just sort of the shitty character that he seems to be. I think we're going to end up getting a mix. I think he is very much in some ways the cowardly villain, but I think he's enough of an opportunist that he also took active measures to assist the cause in a way that's going to put him outside just this scope of someone that was kind of browbeaten into this evil purpose. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree. he's got enough disagree. of will of his own to have actively contributed and plotted for the evil that was done. I imagine him to be like Goyle or, uh, you know, he'll contribute if he can, but like the likelihood of that happening is low. <laughs> I assigned a bit more intelligence to him than probably Goyle, but we'll see. Uh, we also get, you know, confirmed proof of the level of guilt that Sirius Black is just carrying with him, which just adds to the amount of trauma and pain and just unpleasantness that is wrapped around this character. Because he's had to stew in that for 12 years in Azkaban, and I can't imagine the Dementors did, avoided poking that issue with a stick as part of their as part of their usual, let's focus on all the unpleasant things in your life. Yeah, wouldn't it have well, been they, a lot easier for him in Azkaban if he had actually done it and meant to? He apparently doesn't think so. He apparently is fully of the view that the fact he was an innocent man was the one thing keeping him sane, leading to me what I find just very weirdly hilarious, the conclusion that he escaped from Azkaban by walking out. He just kind of went out the front door. They, their security system was not built for the idea that you could assume anything other than human form, and when that, when you found that loophole, he just walked away paddle so, across the across, well, across and it's the ocean. Also, the, the security system is also built on the idea that the, the Dementors will debilitate you. Yes. Yes. And, and are also blind, too, yes. which is an interesting thing to find out. Also very interesting that Sirius Blanc describes how he escaped Azkaban to another Animagus that they're talking about putting in Azkaban. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm hoping that they're gonna include like a little primer when they give hand him over the authorities that says, "Hey, we found this loophole. Maybe you should close it going forward." <laughs> because otherwise, you're just inviting your comic book villain to return, and they've already been able to do that without your assistance. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, so Sirius and Lupin are a damn grim pair, aren't they? They have a really cold conversation about murdering Peter right in front of Harry and friends, and they're fully willing to go forward with it. Witnesses be damned. Right then and there. With very little shift in tone. Sirius Black has now found his center and has gotten even more cold and calculating now that he has. Lupin, meanwhile, never shifts tone. He very politely greets... He's, he's maintaining the Churchill quote if you, for if you have to kill someone, it costs you nothing to be polite and just running with it. Where he's very politely greeting Peter, getting the necessary information, never raises his voice, and then just calmly discusses how they're going to murder him together like it's a fun bonding experience that they've otherwise been denied the last 12 years by this person. And if Harry hadn't talked them down right then and there, they would have. And, you know, I really just need to keep track of these moments to remember, this is a remarkably dark children's series that I'm working through right now. It's fun. I'm enjoying it. 
Sarek, would you please pronounce the spell that they use to enthrall Snape's corpse, or Snape's corpse, Snape's body as they marionette it across the grounds? Oh, yeah, was... let me look it up. I think it's um, it's Mobila Corpus. Yes. I believe that's that, correct. That is um, something that I did have for a wheeze that I decided to <laughs> skip over because uh, time, but <laughs> this is, like, this is gr- so some spells are hilarious in their lack of ingenuity in naming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This one's great. <laughs> it does what it says it will. Yeah. But it's also just like, why is this a named spell? <laughs> it is... Look, I believe, BJ, that Spencer just told you that this was dark for a children's book. <laughs> it is dark for a children's book, but like once you start thinking about like the named spells that we get, and mm-hmm. like the, it's kind of problematic. Well, Keep, keep in mind, keep in mind, we're working off Latin here. Corpus just means body. So, Fair. move the body. But oh. is there a reason that you could not have gone back to the first book and just done a Wingardium Leviosa on no. this no. guy? Right. <laughs> and that would have made... a very specific spell at play here. Right. Would have made way more sense in many other ways if you didn't have spells for very creepy purposes Mm-hmm. Like, you could use this with the full body lock, uh, some of the knockout spells that we've had, but this doesn't have, like, a reasonable non-force people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as as evidenced also by the description, quickly following the casting of the spell, um, he was pulled up into a standing position, head still lolling unpleasantly like a grotesque puppet. Yeah. Not great. Um, I, I, there, there is no Me Too movement in the wizarding world. Oh, no, there And is never not. will be. Mm-mm. I, I just, like, like you guys said, I really adore how spells work in the Harry Potter setting of where they are so incredibly specific that we get a spell like Moblius Corpus. There's no just like, let's teach the children telekinesis. No, no, no. It's this is how you lift a feather and this is how you marionette a teacher when you need to move them across the grounds and so no one would notice. Those are two entirely different spells you need to learn in separate units. Uh, I mean, luckily it wasn't, like, Weekend at Bernius. This is... It totally could have been. It would have been equally fitting. Do, please, Sarah, please tell me we get to see Alan Rickman marionetted during the course of the movies. Do we get that? Um, not quite puppet-like, as one would hope, but yeah, yeah, he, he is moved. Moment, this is one of those moments of where I'm really curious to see how this is playing out, because I can't picture Alan Rickman being this unhinged. Uh... I've never seen him in a role mm. leads that level of just frothing madness over the, uh, as he goes through this conversation. And I'll be curious to see how they play it out, because I don't imagine they're going to do it that way. I can't imagine Alan Rickman playing Snape the way that he's otherwise portrayed in the books. But I'll, Well, you I are in for a treat, Spencer. I was going to say, apparently, once you see it, you cannot imagine Snape as anything other than Alan Rickman. You can't. It, hmm. As, so several, I, several I kind of want to wait. That. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, no, I think that's it is not a bad idea to get as far as you can in the books before watching the movies for exactly that purpose. Well, we will have a massive watch party at some point in the future. Hopefully not several years down the line, but we'll see. <laughs> We're trucking along. <laughs> but for right now, let's continue to truck along and move on to... Sarah, who won and lost on points this this chapter? I yes. have a feeling I know who won this chapter I in terms of have... points, even though it is not a character that is within a house. This, this character does not qualify, but I'm, putting, I'm willing to put money on it. <laughs> I think he won the last chapter, too. <laughs> um... I mean, Crookshanks did a bang-up yeah, job here. <laughs> so, so, a spoiler question. Does Crookshanks win more chapters in this book? In No. I That's even so. more of a spoiler. Thank you, yeah. Sarah. Hmm. But uh, I'm with you. Just in terms of the level of earned smugness, Crookshanks wins. I mean, Crookshanks had a great day. Uh, Harry did some good things here. I would put him as runner-up. Um, mm-hmm. He grew as a human. That's nice. Um, yes. I don't think you should murder because my father wouldn't have wanted his friends yeah. to do that is, I think, maybe the only redeeming thing that Harry has done so far. Mm-hmm. There. It, uh, also, just from a strategic standpoint, it was the perfect thing to emphasize for them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other ways you could have tried to appeal to their humanity. That one, though, would work and does. Yeah. Um, loser from the highest of highs. <laughs> 
at the beginning of this chapter. Oh, no, that's right, because he did win the last chapter. This is, uh, Crookshanks did not win the last chapter, but I think he mm-hmm. won the chapter before it, potentially, yeah. for pressing the button on the Whomping Willow. Uh, mm-hmm. Snape, highest of highs to grotesque puppet, oh, clear loser yeah. of this chapter. Interesting that you didn't choose, yeah. Um, yeah, well, maybe it's Pettigrew. No, uh, no. But he hasn't gotten, like, worse this chapter. He's just still in the same, like... He's just now a human again. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a statement on just how bad Snape ends up here and how utter... I can't imagine how what Snape's first thought is going to be when he wakes up to think about how dastardly wrong everything went. Yes. I think it's curse you, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it may even verge on I'll get you gadget and just in terms oh, of... <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And, you know, I mean... Pettigrew has presumably been sort of living in terror for a long time anyway. So kind of to your, both of your points, not all that different from where he started out the chapter. Mm-hmm. The fact he didn't end up dead, enough of a benefit that he ended up better than Snape did. Fair I enough. mean, that's a win in his book, right? Yeah. That is literally his only goal at this point. Yeah, I mean, do we have any evidence that he wants anything else now? Um, I think in the uh, text of the book, his main goal is more ellipses. Fair. Mm, mm. Very into the ellipses. By comparison, I'm think, pretty sure if we talked to Snape here in a little bit, he'd really wish he was dead, given what he went through. Possibly. Yes. Gotten, Possibly. gotten the upper hand uh, by some children. He would not like that. Um, Questions? Questions. So, Spencer, did you know that I'm going to change the name of ellipsis from now on in J.K. Rowling's books. They are now Peter Pettigrew pauses. I approve this. Done. Are they are they occasionally pregnant Peter Pettigrew pauses? Uh, possibly. Okay. I'm not going to say a P word. Let's go on. Uh, Sarah, is Crook Sanks a cat? Um, I mean, I guess it's a spoiler if you think that he's not a cat, but I, I will I, just tell you that he is actually a cat. Yeah, this is this was my assumption. You know, as much fun as it would be for it actually to be Dumbledore, just just further proof mm-hmm. the man never actually works. Um, but yeah, so is this normal for cats in the Harry Potter setting? Um, I don't. We don't meet really many other actual cats. <laughs> He's the only <laughs> real cat. I was gonna yeah. say, I, th- I think this might come back to the weird and long discussion that we had about familiars, whether mm-hmm. like familiars are a special class or not mm-hmm. and i think this sort of adds to the ish yeah because i mean crookshanks was in that magical pet shop mm-hmm. like that's where he came from and we do get evidence that you know like the rats in there are kind of magically enhanced rats or something like that so it's mm-hmm. it's possible that there is something going on with crookshanks that is beyond like normal muggle cats but apart from kind of that possibility crookshanks is a cat I mean, it's just, this cat has, like, secretive Nim level of intelligence here. This is, we're getting into heavy realms of cat. Mm-hmm. Most of my, I can't remember what series it was, but it was a series of where its explanation for why familiars always ended up being so intelligent was that they just kept on getting that much secondhand magic from being around wizards. Just mm-hmm. That much magic or potions, whatever else, constantly being around them, essentially ter- changed them to being a kind of a cat in name only at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like Crookshanks is going through a similar thing with the level of intelligence he's displaying, but we'll see. Uh, BJ, shall we just discuss the concept of combining spells and that effect on people? Um, sure. Sarah, go. Um, I, don't, I think the answer is, is no. This is just one of those things that happens occasionally, but it never is discussed in depth why it would have that effect. Um, okay. I mean, I'm just... This is not, you know, there are a lot of books in magical worlds where there are specific um, lessons or writings or lore or whatever about um, spells that have to be cast in pairs or in groups um, Mm -hmm. for various reasons. That's not really the case here. There are some things that happen that do require more than one person, but mostly so that one person can be a distraction or do something else. It's not necessarily the like magic part itself. This seems to be Snape got hit with three spells from three pretty pissed off teenagers. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot for him to take. 
it's, it's less it's less that the three baseballs merged together and hit him as one gigantic baseball. It's just that no, he just got hit by three really high powered baseballs at the same mm-hmm. time, and that's gonna hurt. Yeah, that's gonna hurt. Sometimes it'll knock you out. So, sort of a follow up to that in mm-hmm. similar areas. Um, what? Why do some spells have names and some spells don't, or is it just not something that was put into the book? Like in the movie when they change. Uh, Peter Pettigrew, like, mm-hmm. do they Is just there sort of a like spell? Yeah. So what we find out um, a little bit, I can't remember what book it's in, but there's like an actual shift in the um, pedagogy at Hogwarts, where when you are advanced enough, especially in like Defense Against the Dark Arts, they mm-hmm. start to teach you how to control what would have been named spells previously without having to actually speak out loud. Oh, okay, so it kind of makes cool. it easier, presumably, to do certain spells, but you don't need to. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like a concentration focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is more advanced magic to be able to do them without having to speak the spell, um, mm-hmm. which is why even you know adult wizards and, and very powerful adult wizards frequently continue to say spell names out loud if it's something minor you'll note that like Dumbledore doesn't say spells very frequently <laughs> he makes yeah. things happen without that nonsense yeah right. and I, I guess continuing along that line um, some spells sort of seem to be line of sight and some mm-hmm. don't and it doesn't seem to be like a consistent thing like but sometimes it is mm-hmm. yeah I mean there is there is certainly a proximity um, thing that goes on. We get a moment in the next book where Harry does a spell and doesn't know what's going to happen because he's like trying to make something happen like way far away from where he is, um, mm-hmm. and it is it's difficult. Um, so there, there is a level of proximity that has to be there. I think for the most part there should be line of sight, but. Like you said, that's pretty inconsistent. I don't know that there's a real, to my mind, there's not like a real theory behind it. It is narrative convenience. Okay. Spencer. Um, question about Animagi and the time spent as an animal. It, we discussed in the last chapter, and now we can see it, we were, debate, we're debating what level of long-term effects would have on someone from being an animal form for, you know, like 12 years. Mm-hmm. It's not Animorph, Spencer. I, well, I'm just... <laughs> I mean, would he even like realistically would he even be able to stand would he have any concept of what standing on two feet would be after 12 yeah. years in animal form it does it seems like that it's not that you're actually necessarily turning into an animal it's that you're assuming like an animal form around you and there's still a core of you in the center is that mm-hmm. kind of how it works because i don't think like he ever lost track of the fact that he was peter pettigrew rather than a rat yeah i think that's true and we get evidence of that from Sirius Black, too, um, who talks about, like, his his emotions were not as acute um, when he was a dog. They were a little less complex, but he never didn't know mm-hmm. that he was actually a human. Um, now, that's also, like, weirdly compounded by being an Azkaban and being with the Dementors and all of that. But um, my understanding, I mean, we never see, we never see someone who, like, suffers... Um, long-term effects from being in animal form um even for for 12 years like peter Pettigrew. i mean i think that like in the movie when he comes out of his rat form he is still like making the movements of a rat as a human for like five seconds as he kind of figures out what's going on but mm-hmm. beyond that it's not like i mean he looks a little rat like but i think he became a rat in the first place because he looks a little rat like so <laughs> sure yeah yeah, I picture him basically suffering not much more than the wizard effect of jet lag coming out of this rather than mm-hmm. there being anything more long-term. I think that's fair. When did the Weasleys go to Hogwarts, the Elder? Um, I think they're a little older than, Harry, than Harry's parents. Okay. Or actually, and I think they're, they're much older than Harry's parents because... Um, because they're older children. Because of their older children, but I also think that they might have been older when they started having children. Um, gotcha. But I, I don't think there was overlap there. Um, also, two questions about the older Weasleys. Mm-hmm. Um, do they find out about Peter? And did they somehow forget that Scabbers was 
uh, there for a decade and a half. Um, I mean, they do certainly find out um, it would be hard to not tell your parents about your pet rat um, actually being a human. Um, they do find out about Peter, and but did they still at no point question the fact that he was there and alive and in the family for a dozen or a dozen years. Yeah. This goes or, remarkably uncommented on, except for, to your point, Spencer, Lupin. Is Molly secretly one of Voldemort's more powerful listeners? <laughs> oh, the twist. The twist. You sussed it out, BJ. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not what it is, but like that would make a hilarious amount of sense. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, we, and we never really find out how Scabbers came to be with the Weasleys um, in the first place. That's all left kind of a mystery. I mean, there are very high up and powerful people of evil regimes that just go on living because of reasons. Maybe Molly's one of them. Maybe so. TBD. No, it's not. But that's fine. <laughs> I, just, I just Googled it. Apparently, according to Guinness Book World Records, the oldest rat on record was seven years, four months. So, yeah, they could have actually been making a hell of a lot of money off this rat if they'd just been paying attention. I was going to say that's really impressive because... Even in captivity, four is two two to three is old, and four is like really old. Hmm. His 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 name was Rodney. He had good genes. Good for Rodney. <laughs> Rodney the Rat. <laughs> what other questions do y'all have? Um, did Peter Pettigrew and what's his name from the first book ever have any conversations? Don't answer that. Sorry. It's just like a thing that kind of frustrates me, where it's just like. I understand that there probably has to be some retconning of things, but like for a professor to essentially have Voldemort in its head and Scabbers to just be around seems kind of silly. Yeah. That, that turban really hid things, man. <laughs> High and tight. <laughs> um, I think that's it for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. We're, uh, we're, getting, we're getting close enough to the end of these books that I won't just say obvious plot points that I'm assuming will be resolved in three chapters. So, yeah, I'm good. Okay. Um, all right. So next week we have The Dementor's Kiss. Ew. <laughs> well, and another interesting uh, cover picture of a bunch of empty robes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's interesting. Cause you, you, you think that they would have successfully avoided that scenario at this point. Well, I mean, we've still got 60 pages left. They do. What? How are they going to fuck this one up? <laughs> They're walking home. In style. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this has been fun, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to the next chapter, guys. I guess. Bye, guys.